0: Middle of the week, and this is midday on the Rural Radio Network, as we get ready to watch some temperatures we haven't seen for a while take over the region, and then, plop, we go back into another winter weather situation, the way things are shaping up for the weekend. Stay with us, we'll have more on that as we go along, and right now we are going to be tuning into uh, I guess we're over at the Innovation Campus uh, today, where uh, Susan Littlefield is hanging out. What are you doing there, girl?
1: Well, there's lots of things that are going to be happening today. It's a busy, hopping place, because Chad Moyer's here as well today. Mm-hmm. Poor Bryce is used to having a quiet studio, and he's got both of us in there <laughs> trying to work. But uh, Chad and I are going to be doing some media training with the YCC the Young Cattlemen, uh group, and not only today, but next week as well, talking about ways that they can get out there and tell the story. So we're pretty excited to be able to speak in front of them. And in the meantime, we're all down here covering some interesting things that are happening in the unicameral is LB 758. That's going to deal with more of the, the folks in the southwest part of the state, District 44 and Senator Hughes, and they will be discussing this bill, what it's going to mean with certain land being taken off the tax roll base, how they can be able to incorporate and get those tax dollars to help out the schools. It's kind of a long, in-depth discussion, but we'll talk more about that uh, coming up at 12:19. Uh, USDA held a news conference yesterday. Shaley Peters will bring us update on what Secretary Purdue had to say. And then at 117, a trade delegation has returned from South Korea in a recent trip as Representative talks about business to discuss opportunities that could happen right here in Nebraska. So that's some of the happenings going on right now. Um, know, yeah,
0: when, when you're talking about uh, Bryce, uh, you know, he kind of lives like a hermit down there at Innovation Campus, manning our studio there all day long. And uh, it seems as though he gets a little bit of uh, company there. He turns into a real chatterbox, though.
1: He does. You know, we can't get Bryce to quit talking. He just actually came and sat down next to me at the table here at the <laughs> yeah. mill. All right. So, yeah, it's a good time. All right.
0: Very good. Susan, we'll talk to you later. Thank you.
1: Okay, thank you. Jason
0: Jorgensen with Sports Boy. How about them Huskers?
2: Lady Huskers are having a very, very nice season. Of course, they've been much improved over last year, and they picked up their first win over a ranked team last night as they down 20th ranked Iowa. I'll tell you how they did it. They did it despite the fact they didn't rebound very well, and they also missed 18 foul shots, but they still had enough to knock off. Hawkeyes. Also, big upset last night for uh, K-State men's basketball team as they not only beat fourth-ranked Oklahoma, but they handed it to the Sooners as they continue to have Oklahoma's numbers, especially in Manhattan. We will recap that one. Huskers have landed another football recruit. We will give you the very latest on that. And also, they've come up with an interesting way to uh, dole out and hand out tickets for the folks who want to buy season tickets, if you will, for the College World Series. We'll tell you how that
0: All will work. All right. We'll look forward to that and find out how you can find yourself in the seats at TD Ameritrade Park.
3: Over here is Bob Brogan with Business News. Stocks moving higher on Wall Street as the markets are making up some ground that they lost a day earlier. Also, um, industrial production on the rise. That's some pretty good news for the market home builder sentiment slips and so those are some of the issues that we're going to be watching also kind of a sidebar uh, governor rickett says he uh, supports um, a measure that would height the speed limit on nebraska's interstates and four-lane expressways and so forth so we'll be watching that
0: all right and we speed ahead today on today's edition of midday well, let's bring in Paul Perkins with our ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. The map is showing some glimmers of coming out of the very cold doldrums.
3: Yes, uh, temperatures right now in many areas, upper teens to the low 20s, and That's actually quite an improvement over what we've been seeing the last couple of days in many areas. We are seeing some low 30s on into the Nebraska Sandhills towards Ainsworth and Thedford and also at Sydney. And right around 40-ish and into northeast Colorado, some low 30s also over northwest kansas right now
0: now this is going to melt so fast that we do have some flooding concern out there
3: right? yeah we do have uh, some ice jam concerns especially right along the platte river in southeast dawson county also northern Phelps county southwest buffalo county especially right along the platte river up until about 4:30 tomorrow afternoon they do have a flood advisory in effect for uh, people to watch out for ice jams because we have seen some Rapid rises and falls in the water due to these ice jams, but looks like these ice jams may break up later this week as the temperatures start warming into the 50s. So a flood advisory until tomorrow afternoon. Once again, northern Phelps County, southwest Buffalo County, and southeast Dawson County for some ice jams there. Otherwise, we are starting to see the signs of a dramatic warming trend in our forecast. This warming trend expected to last through Friday thanks to a ridge of high pressure expanding across the plains. As the snow cover disappears, there's going to be even less resistance to the warm-up. Temperatures by Friday expected to warm into the 50s and 60s over western areas of Kansas. Expecting highs by Friday into the upper 60s. The cold front for Friday night turns our winds to the north. That'll cool our temperatures Saturday, but it will still be mild for the middle part of January. Strengthening low pressure to our southwest. Going to track onto the plains for Sunday. Now this system, not directly coming out of the Four Corners area. It's coming out of the Rockies through Colorado. Then it'll move towards Kansas City by Sunday. And that track, going to give us some snow, but probably not as much snow as it would come if it would be coming directly out of the four corners right now excuse me, the forecast models trending the storm a little bit slower. That puts the timing of the system more focused for the daytime on Sunday. Still too much uncertainty to predict the exact snowfall amounts with this system because we, in fact, could see some rain mixed in. There's a pretty good chance of accumulating snow, though, with at least breezy north winds for Sunday afternoon. Most of the forecast models right now expecting those snow totals to be up around two to four inches especially in Nebraska. Temperatures return to more seasonal levels for early next week with minimal chances at precipitation after the storm passes on Sunday. In our long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska are forecast to be slightly cooler than normal Monday through January 30th, while Kansas temperatures will be normal or seasonal. The precipitation forecast expects slightly above normal precipitation for both Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 30th. In the markets, weather factors include favorable rain in drier areas of Argentina and improving weather for early harvest in Brazil. A strong cold front here in the U.S. crossing the Atlantic coast will allow frigid air today to engulf the southeast and Midwest. Freezes a concern once again tomorrow across the deep south. By the end of the week, above-normal temperatures though expected across most of the central and eastern U.S. A weekend storm emerging out of the Rockies could produce snow from the central plains into the upper Midwest and thunderstorms across the mid-South. The snow looks to mainly affect. West and north areas of the northern plains and western midwest. Heavy snow and strong winds will affect the transportation and increase livestock stress. Across the southern plains, no significant cold outbreaks are expected in the next 10 days. The southern plains will continue to be dry with very little meaningful precipitation in the forecast for wheat areas. Argentina crops are benefiting from beneficial rain. Some additional rain is possible before the end of the week. Less rain in central Brazil this next week will favor ripening soybeans and early harvest. Southern Brazil will continue to see beneficial rain and favorable soybean moisture.
0: Ag Weather Watch brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. So if you had to put a bet down today, how much do you think we'd get
3: and when? Probably but yeah, about two to four inches uh, during the daytime on Sundays. It uh, looks pretty iffy, maybe western areas by late Saturday night, but it looks like more so during the day on Sundays when a lot of us will be getting some snow, and it'll start to wrap up by Sunday evening.
0: Now, you say this thing is headed toward Kansas City. Does that mean Kansas gets
3: more of it? No, the main area of low pressure will be moving right over Kansas City, and that's usually that trek that we get uh, some significant snows out of. But since the storm is not directly coming out of the southwest, Just more so from the Rockies West into Colorado, then moving towards Kansas City. A little less snow, a little less moisture to work with. So snowfall amounts won't be as great.
0: All right. You can follow along as we get to the weekend on your KRVN app or...
3: KRVN.com.
4: for cattle before calving, the USDA's Rural Prosperity Task Force gears up to put their vision into action, and what consumers are wanting in 2018 to make their food more interesting. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. It's that time of the year when Main Street is lined with spotlight-attached pickups, producers sleep in two-hour shifts, and low-pressure weather systems bring new lives into the world. While calving season can be stressful, cattle that are healthy and in the correct body condition can make the season go slightly smoother. K-State Veterinarian Greg Hanselchek goes over several considerations on assuring that the calving female is nutritionally sound going into the season starting with her
0: body condition score. Well, we we would like those on a scale of one to nine for those cows and heifers to be five sixes, and some people aren't, don't even mind sevens. But we know that cows and, and heifers in the in the proper condition they calve easier, they have more colostrum, they have higher quality colostrum, and their breed back is so much better than animals that are thin. Winter feed costs are such a large percentage of their expenses that it just makes sense to have the forages tested, and then have an appropriate diet. That's going to minimize the cost but maximize what they're going to get out of their forages to make sure that their cows and heifers are in good condition at calving.
4: That again, K-State Veterinarian Greg Honzelchek. The USDA Task Force on Agriculture and Rural Prosperity is looking to put their vision into action. For more on this, we go to Shaylee Peters.
5: Over the past six months, the task force has been out in rural communities across the U.S. gathering information on how the federal government could improve life in rural America. And Hazlitt, assistant to the secretary for rural development, says over this time they've created a rural prosperity vision where five key factors were identified, one of them
6: being e-connectivity. Right now, nearly 40 percent of rural Americans lack access to sufficient broadband access, and this must change. Uh, We need to connect our farms, our rural homes and businesses, and rural schools to high-speed technology. In considering this issue, um, the task force looked at several issues. Um, First, to increase access to broadband in rural areas, we must incentivize private capital investment including the use of public-private partnerships. We also must make investment in high-speed internet infrastructure more attractive by streamlining the burdensome review, uh, approval, and permitting processes. Other factors included quality of life, rural workforce,
5: technology, and economic development. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network.
4: In consumer news, the annual What's Hot culinary forecast released by the National Restaurant Association named new cuts of meat as the top trend for 2018. In response to the news, the chefs and meat scientists at NCBA's Beef It's What's For Dinner Culinary Center in Denver have put together a list of the top five innovative cuts that should be showing up more often in grocery stores and food services. The number one is Shoulder Tender, number two Sirloin Bavette, number three colette. number four the Petite Sirloin, and number five the Tri-Tip Roast. While many of these cuts are available to the home cook, some are just starting to gain popularity in restaurants. Chef Laura Hagan, Senior Culinary Director for the Denver-based NCBA, says that if you like brisket, you might want to try a tri-tip roast, or if you're in the mood for a strip steak, you'll probably enjoy the colette. She went on to say it's exciting to see innovative cuts gain popularity across the country. Diners at home-cooked shouldn't let a name they don't recognize keep them from trying something new. The new Beef It's What's For Dinner.com website has a section dedicated to beef cuts with details on everything, including where the cuts come from, how to cook it, and similar cuts that can be substituted. My favorite of the new cuts would probably be the tri-tip steak grilled to perfection. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
7: The Natural Resource Committee is set to hold a hearing later today on LB 758. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Senator Dan Hughes represents the 44th District. He explained to me what LB 758 is all about.
8: Well, uh, there are two... Uh, stream flow augmentation projects in the state of nebraska one is in dundee county it's the rock creek project and the other is the Encore project which is in lincoln county and the nrds have purchased land that is that was irrigated and have taken it out of production and are using the water uh, that would normally be used to grow crops uh, they're sending that down <clears throat> downstream to uh help Nebraska meet compliance with the uh, Republican River Compact to make sure that Kansas gets sufficient water. Uh, by the NRDs buying that land, uh, it came off of the tax rolls, so the local property taxpayers uh, should not, uh, let me back up, that came off the property tax rolls. The NRDs are paying property taxes on that, but they are protesting that because in state law one taxing entity cannot pay taxes to another taxing entity so although the NRDs are paying the taxes they protested uh, just to you know make sure they wouldn't get sued for paying the taxes what my LB 758 does is makes it okay for those NRDs to pay in lieu of taxes which means they can pay whatever the the value of the property would be in lieu of and not be uh, concerned about being sued for paying paying tax paying real estate taxes. It basically keeps the local property taxpayer whole.
7: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Then, are you seeing are you seeing this issue kind of surface in other areas be- besides these two districts?
8: Um, those those are the only two stream augmentation projects currently going in the state of Nebraska. So. Those are the only two places that, that it is an issue.
7: Okay. Izzy, a lot of bills have been introduced, bills that really kind of cover the entire gamut so far for Nebraskans.
8: Yeah, that you know, that's what the legislature does. We uh, have all summer to, you know, listen to our constituents and, you know, identify areas of concern, you know, for the state and for, you know, uh, sometimes local issues. And, uh, you know, we take that. Take the summer time to develop the legislation to, you know, try and solve some of the problems that are brought to our attention.
7: No surprise that property taxes once again will be a, a hot topic button.
8: Um, absolutely not. You know, in the southwest Nebraska, the forty fourth district that I represent, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time all summer long, you know, talking to my constituents, and that is by far and away the the biggest concern of of uh, people in in western Nebraska.
7: We've been hearing a lot of talk, too, Senator, that there seems to be a feel of a divide within the unicameral this year. Are you seeing or or witnessing any of that? Uh,
8: No. I mean, it's not any different than it is any year. I mean, there are uh, coalitions form and verse around different issues. Uh, You know, there's a lot of... uh, Talk in the media about the right versus left or urban versus rural. Comments coming
7: from District 44 Senator Dan Hughes. Again, the Bill LB-758 will be before a hearing of the Unicameral's Natural Resources Committee later today. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
0: It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to jack sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's much-improved season and women's
2: basketball continued last night as Maddie Simon poured in 19 points, Hannah Whitish had 18, and Taylor Kissinger chipped in with 12, as Nebraska found a way to knock off 20th-ranked Iowa 74-65. to this is Nebraska's first win over a ranked opponent this year, and Head Coach Jamie Williams hopes to get some confidence from it. I
6: mean, I think this is a really good win for our team and really exciting win for our team, and it's uh, you know it's it's something that I feel like you know we're finally able to kind of get over the hump on one of those. But um, just knowing you know our team, it's kind of funny that the the mood after that game in the locker room is just that you know we. We were a little disappointed that we gave up so many offensive rebounds and second-chance points, and that was something we really wanted to try to take care of.
2: that victory lifts the Huskers to 13-6 overall. They're 4-2 in Big Ten action. Iowa slips to 15-4. The Creighton men's basketball team will host 19th ranked Seton all tonight. The Jays are looking to bounce back after they were blown out at Xavier on Saturday. Tip off tonight at the Century Link Center set for 7:30 in Omaha. And Kansas State last night pulled off a huge upset, downing fourth-ranked Oklahoma as the Wildcats continue their success at home against the Sooners. Fans can apply for season tickets to the College World Series under a new selection process. Officials yesterday announced that fans who apply online by midnight on March 1st will be eligible for a random drawing to buy up to four season tickets. The Division one Baseball Championship is held at TDM at Trade Park in Omaha each June. Now this new process replaces a waiting list which ended last year. Sad news from Washington State. Quarterback Tyler Helinski has died from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. 21-year-old was discovered in his apartment after he didn't show up for practice yesterday. Police say a rifle was recovered next to him along with a suicide note. And Connecticut defensive end Casey Rogers has announced his decision to sign with the Huskers. Rogers is a 6'5", 250-pound defensive end recruit who also held offers from the likes of Indiana, Cal, Pittsburgh, and Rutgers. Rodgers reportedly also had been hearing from Alabama and Ohio State of late. The Husker coaching staff visited with him and his family earlier this week to lock down that commitment. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
9: Clear skies in Nebraska tonight with lows only in the teens across the state. I'm Dave Schroeder. A Nebraska state lawmaker has delivered on his promise to introduce new voter identification bills. Senator John Moranti of Gretna submitted three measures today that he said were needed to address potential voter fraud. Critics have blasted such measures as an effort to disenfranchise Democratic-leaning voters. One measure would require officials to check voter records for dead people and confirm the citizenship status of all registered voters. Another would permit the use of electronic books that poll workers could use to identify voters. The third would require voters to show a government-issued identification at the polls. Marante says 97% of registered voters have a form of identification that qualifies and those who don't could get one from the Secretary of State's office. Berante is a Republican candidate for state treasurer. A federal judge has dismissed portions of a lawsuit that says Nebraska's overcrowded prisons give inadequate health care, overuse solitary confinement, and discriminate against disabled inmates. The American Civil Liberties Union of Nebraska filed the lawsuit in August on behalf of disabled inmates against the Nebraska Department of Correctional Services, as well as the state board of parole and leaders in those agencies. The state filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, arguing that the 11 inmates named in the suit lacked legal standing and hadn't incurred injuries. U.S. District Judge Robert Rossiter ruled that while the lawsuit can move forward, the state agencies can't be sued directly. The ACLU of Nebraska says it hopes to work with officials to improve prison conditions and avoid going to trial. Mary Ritter of Callaway has been selected by her colleagues to serve as chair of the Nebraska Public Service Commission in 2018. Ritter was selected during the commission's January 9th meeting in Lincoln. She was asked what the chairperson's role would entail.
1: Obviously, I, as chair, you conduct our meeting, which they call grift. We meet every week. Um, so I, I conduct the meeting. When it comes to assigning dockets, I'm in charge of that. When it comes to determining uh, legislative bills and what our position will be on the ones that affect us and what our testimony will be, I'll be in charge of that in conjunction with our staff and I'll work with other commissioners. So partially not much different, partially some leadership role that uh, will be new for me this year. She
9: represents 47 counties in the western two-thirds of Nebraska. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone, downloaded free in the App Store or Google Play. I'm Dave Schroeder.
5: A USDA task force is putting their vision into action. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And last week, the USDA's task force on agriculture and rural prosperity released a report outlining 31 recommendations of ways that the federal government can assist rural communities and building prosperity or simply get out of the way as Ann hazlett assistant to the secretary for rural development puts it during a recent press call to dive deeper into what that means hazlett started by jumping in with e-connectivity
6: here you know when we think about the everyday challenges that are faced by rural americans access to broadband or e connectivity is one of the very first thing that comes to mind everything from health care to education market access for small businesses That access to high-speed, high-capacity Internet is necessary for rural Americans, just like it is necessary for people living in the city or in the suburbs. Right now, nearly 40% of rural Americans lack access to sufficient broadband access, and this must change. Uh, We need to connect our farms, our rural homes and businesses, and rural schools to high-speed technology. In considering this issue, um, the task force looked at several issues. Um, First, to increase access to broadband in rural areas, we must incentivize private capital investment, including the use of public-private partnerships. We also must make investment in high-speed Internet infrastructure more attractive by streamlining the burdensome review, uh, approval, and permitting processes. Quality of life was a big one that the task force was addressed with as well. We believe that quality of life is the foundation for prosperity, And as the modern economy becomes more mobile, the places that Americans are choosing to live are increasingly influenced by the quality of life in their home communities. When we think about what pieces in a community enable people living there to experience a high quality of life, um, there are a number of fundamental assets to be addressed. Um, For example, modern utilities, um, affordable housing, efficient transportation, access to medical services, public safety and quality education – so the task force looked at each of these components and made a number of reg- recommendations. Uh, lastly, as part of this effort, a wide range of federal departments and agencies are focused on crafting an effective response to the opioid epidemic epidemic. Um, which really is looking at how we can best support rural communities in designing and building solutions that are based on their own specific needs and their strengths. And the final three key factors brought up by Rural America focused on
5: the rural workforce, technology, and economic development.
6: The third area of focus for the task force uh, looked at the importance of the rural workforce. I'm here to grow and prosper. Every rural community needs both job opportunities for its residents, And then the employers and that economic investment that we want to see come to these places uh, certainly needs qualified individuals to fill those needs. Um, Today's rural areas are more economically diverse than in the past, um, which really um, prevents an opportunity for growth in in the workforce sector. Um, There are significant opportunities uh, for the rural workforce to prosper and grow. Um, However, the task force found that a data-driven analysis of employee skills and jobs requirements is really needed to help match curriculum and training programs that will best serve those employers' uh, workforce goals. And The task force believes that successful workforce development strategies can create well-trained and skilled personnel uh, with the qualifications needed in the modern economy. One of the things that they looked at, uh, for example, was career mapping within education systems, um, beginning with... uh, K-12 education and continuing through higher levels uh, what is needed there to help prepare the workforce of the future to fit rural economies. Turning to our fourth area of focus, um, innovation, here the task force concluded that there's a tremendous opportunity in agriculture with the food demand of a growing global population. As the world's leader in farm production and innovation, uh, the United States can certainly leverage emerging agriculture technologies and practices both meet that economic opportunity and the humanitarian need that we'll, we, we will see around the world. Uh, globally, the biotechnology sector is a driver um, of the so-called fourth industrial revolution. Uh, re- revolution. Um, this, we believe, presents an unprecedented opportunity for American farmers and rural communities to excel on the front lines of innovation, again, in these rural places. Um, we have technology, innovation, in agriculture, um, but beyond, we see innovation really through manufacturing and mining uh, technology as well that can also enhance the efficiency and the safety for the rural workforce. And finally, the task force looked at economic development. Um, here the task force found that infusing rural areas with stronger businesses and agriculture economies Um, Investing in rural economic development will not only empower these places, but also empower all of America. Uh, Rural businessmen and women, entrepreneurs, as well as beginning farmers and ranchers um, need improved access to capital um, to facilitate um, their businesses, to help them start, grow, and expand. Uh, We believe that enabling um, rural-based investment partnerships, whether they're public or private, uh, can help communities identify and develop projects that are best suited for investment and promotion of economic growth and job creation. And then beyond capital, the task force determined that identifying key regulatory reforms on streamlining processes and improving interagency coordination is needed to create conditions in which the rural economy can thrive. So in conclusion, last Monday was a big day for rural America. Uh, The report by the Agriculture and Rural Prosperity Task Force represents a commitment by the President, by USDA, and 21 other federal agencies to take action to improve uh, the conditions in rural America. These are not simple tasks. Um, They will require the coordination and partnership of federal, state, and local governments, the private sector, individuals, and families across rural America. However, with the report, we believe we have a clear roadmap and we can't wait to get started. Again,
5: hearing from Ann Hazlett, Assistant to the Secretary for Rural Development, as she dove deeper into the report released by the USDA's Task Force for Agriculture and Rural Prosperity and how they plan to put it into action. For more on this, you can visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
10: Back on the Rural Radio Network. Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities is off today. We had a lot of buyer activity in the live cattle contracts as well as the feeder cattle today. Gains of 280 to 287, even had a limit gain in February for one, uh, for a period of time. Buyer cattle complex too. And all of them had triple digit gains today. The focus is on additional longer term support cash cattle activity slowly slowly starting to pick up with a few bids 118 live 189 to 190 dressed active trade may not develop until later in the week maybe Thursday or Friday now the Fed Cattle Exchange today listed a total of 304 head with 108 actually sold in Texas at 119.75 also in the uh, overall lack of selling pressure in the feeder cattle market has continued to bring additional support to that trade. But the lean hogs corrected today. Light to moderate losses were seen. Prices were moving significantly from the sharply earlier losses during the first hour of trade. The front month futures, though, did finish a $1.17 lower. The overall lack of direction in the hog market could cause prices to shift in a moderate range over the near future. Well, cash prices were a little bit lower on the cash hog report this morning. But in Missouri, the direct trade steadied to a dollar higher. Total cattle slaughter so far this week, estimated at 353,000, 58,000 more than the same week a year ago. Hog slaughter, one million two hundred ninety-four thousand, hundred seven thousand more than one year ago.
11: Friday, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, welcomed back a trade delegation made up of trade representatives from a handful of groups, including Nebraska Innovation Campus. The delegation met with companies and industry associations in South Korea to promote Nebraska as a destination for foreign direct investment. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Dueske reporting. Dan Duncan is executive director of Nebraska Innovation Campus and joins me now. Dan, you were on the trip, so let's start with this question. What was the importance of doing this?
12: Almost two years ago, over two years ago, we started a process. Um, We have one South Korean company, uh, Food Dreams Made Real. Their brand is Suji's Cuisine here on Innovation Campus. And we started working with them and some contractors in South Korea. Went in May of 2016, made some connections, and that's resulted in two more. Uh, south korean companies locating on innovation campus so uh, we actually went this time to broaden and deepen that support and uh, meet new companies
11: nebraska has a strong relationship with korea they import approximately 517 million dollars worth of goods from nebraska which makes korea the state's fifth largest trading partner so it's obvious that Nebraska and Korea get along in terms of trade, but what's the importance of Nebraska Innovation Campus and in having that relationship?
12: Yeah, it it really is. So, you know, foreign direct investment is the best kind of economic uh, development because it brings in dollars uh, from, from overseas. And, you know, South Korea is a company that's uh, very mountainous. They don't have a lot of arable land, and uh, so... A huge amount of their foodstuffs they need to import and the closer relationship we can develop with them the better it is for uh, not only raw commodities from nebraska but uh, value-added products
11: tell us about a trip like this uh what does it look like what uh, you and i were talking before era of the days and you've got those lined up and ahead of time but really what does this look like on the ground
12: well um you know it's an interesting trip because um uh, you know, it's a 12-hour flight from San Francisco. So, you, you know, we left Sunday morning uh, and arrived uh, uh, Monday night. Tried to get a good night's sleep and then, you know, basically hit the ground running. You know, while you're there, you want to uh, get as much as you can in. So it was pretty much 12-hour days, uh, both Tuesday and Wednesday, with a, a series of meetings that were set up. Uh, This time, a a fair number of our meetings, uh, or most of our meetings, were set up uh, by the U.S. Embassy and uh, the Department of Economic Development here in Nebraska.
11: So, Dan, explain to us, what is the importance of actually going to South Korea and being kind of boots on the ground there?
12: I liken it to what, you know, Nebraska knows football, right? And for years, it doesn't matter what coaches have been here, they've said the hardest thing that they have to do is get recruits to campus once they're at camp on campus it's a fairly easy sell and and that's really the way it is with us to try to recruit companies uh, foreign companies without having been there and showed that uh, you you want them and and uh, you want them to be successful is really difficult and so it's important to go it's in, it's important to uh, share both of uh, business information social time Develop those personal connections that really lead uh, to good good business relationships.
11: That was Dan Duncan talking about a recent trip they took to South Korea to recruit folks to come over to the Nebraska Innovation Campus. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Dusky.
10: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. In a grain market that closed higher for corn and wheat, and it kind of brought the soybeans up a little bit as well. With us John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. So the corn market above that three fifty mark, John.
13: Yeah, fifty day moving average taken out here. So you know, gosh, being up a percentage point. I think this is the biggest one day move we've had since uh Thanksgiving, which put uh the, the March contract up around three sixty at that point. So I think there's more to go here, uh three fifty five, three sixty. It's still, you know, forty five days until the first notice down this stuff and i just don't see the prices good enough where folks are going to be selling keep your eye on your basis out there see how that b- behaves here if we'd rally a nickel if, if you catch that move with the with the futures that could be a, a good sign for for future development
10: what did you see about soybeans since they were lower most of the day
13: well i i again i think it's a lot of it was just kind of cross-spreading against wheat and then we we balanced back after a good move yesterday Uh, I like the meal trade here we we had that retest of the 315 level it failed then kind of whipsawed everybody back out and not trading at a couple of week high there at 324 um U.S. I think we're $0.20 Twenty cents cheaper than the Brazilian offers for, for for February, so the U.S. should start to see more product here. We've got room to rally and continue to to hold that advantage as far as the export markets go. Now it's about seeing some physical buying. We saw a little bit a little bit this morning. I think it was 150,000, 200,000 metric tons uh, reported purchased by an unknown buyer.
10: John, you've talked basis and carry. Do they remain mostly sideways in this soybean trade?
13: Well, a little bit. I mean, the bean base, the bean carry's been a lot tighter than in the market for corn. Um, You know, I I look at July, twenty cents above where the front months are that's about right considering the prices are higher where they are but you can use that carry if you have the physical so it's a lot easier to use it in corn and looking at like the may contract for corn trading right around the 360 level if that gets to the 370 that 370 call might be worth a dime or so And if you have the inclination looking to sell some premium on those rallies considering that the front month price will have to rally quite a bit along with the carry uh, being your friend there uh, to take in some premium on a rally I, I just don't think you want to get too bullish here as we get above 365 370 on that march but I do think it's in the cards
10: and give me a comment here when it comes to the wheat trade
13: well wheat again is the uh, u.s. is kind of continues to be the cheapest in the world and some when the market's down when it rallies we we price ourselves up basis in the in the hard red wheat area has been fantastic though and that that's something that you got to keep kind of lean your hat on it's a lot higher than it was the last two years
10: the well, wheat was up five today thanks john john payne senior marketing analyst daniels Zag marketing in chicago Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com to get more information. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network.